through the scriptures you see the marriage between a man and a woman is a really a foreshadow or a typology of the marriage between Jesus and his church. So when you're, when you're looking here at Ephesians chapter 5, and you look at verse 27, that he might present herself, uh, her, I'm sorry, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. If you look at those words, when does that happen? When will we be presented to Jesus, the glorious church, being presented to the groom, we the bride? At the harpazo. That's, you know, that's speaking of the, of the harpazo. So you see, this, you see this divine romance throughout the scripture. Song of Solomon. Okay, you read Song of Solomon. Well, you know, it's a, a, you know, a song about Solomon and his love for his wife, or his wife and her love for uh, Solomon. It's, again, a typology of God's love for his people, Israel. God's love for his people, the church. And it's passionate. It's romantic. It's uh, filled with, with, with love. So <clears throat> that's what we'll focus on today. Again, as, as we have been going through this series, I said to you, we will answer some very important questions. What is the rapture? I think we looked very clearly at that the last few weeks. Who will be raptured? Will children of unbelievers be raptured? We're actually going to look at that next week. When will it happen? We'll be looking at that next week. What will happen to those um, who are left behind? If you have any doubts about your salvation, whether you are saved or not, you want to hear that message because you want to be prepared when you're left behind. That's If you have any doubts about your salvation, if you are truly saved, and I know people do, maybe people sitting here right now, and I know there are people who are probably watching this for sure who do, then you want to definitely hear, hear that message because I'm going to give you a survival guide that hopefully you'll make it through and, uh, and get to heaven. Uh, what will believers experience when they are taken away to heaven? We talked a lot about that last week. We'll talk a little more about it today. And will non-believers still have <clears throat> time <clears throat> to repent and be saved? For today, again, we're going to look at the harpazo, the divine romance. The word marriage in the Greek is the word gamos. And it essentially it refers to a wedding ceremony or a wedding feast. The harpazo, the rapture, is a part. It is, it is really one aspect of the entire wedding feast, the marriage. So if we break down the, the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew-Jewish marriage, you have three parts, I'm sorry, four parts. You have the choosing of the bride, the engagement, which is called the arusin, the wedding ceremony, and then the wedding celebrations. So that's what we're going to be looking at here today. The first is the marriage arrangement. The marriage arrangement happened when essentially the bride and groom were little kids. And their fathers would get together and they would arrange the marriage. How many of you realize that your marriage to Jesus was arranged before you were ever born? It was arranged before we were knit together in our mama's wombs. In fact, it, it was arranged before God laid the very foundations of the earth. 
It was arranged before, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Our marriage to Jesus was arranged long, long time ago. So if we go to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, here's again a great picture of that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. We were chosen in Jesus before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So picture, he chose his bride before the foundation of the world, before the material creation, and before Genesis chapter 1. He chose us, he selected us. And if, if you look at the word predestined, it is, it is prorizo. And the idea, whenever you put the word a pro in front of something, right, it's always telling us that it comes before. Essentially, the word here, that we have been selected in advance. God made a decision long, long, long time ago to choose us before the creation of the world to be married to his son, Jesus. So it is our marriage has been prearranged. Now, when we begin to look at things like that, then the question comes up, right? If God has arranged the whole thing, why should we try? Why should we believe? Why should we trust? Why should we repent? Why should we obey? If it's already predetermined, right? Isn't that the question? And this is where the, the, the concept, and really, if you understand, the big divide in the church Calvinism and what is called Arminian, Ar Ar Arminianism. Not Armenianism, the Armenian people. It's Arminian. A man named Jacob Arminius and John Calvin, they were two who took these two very uh, different views. If you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29 through 30, you have a very key explanation to this. It says, for whom he foreknew... Now, the word, the word for new, again, pro-genosco. So, before, right, God essentially knew you, <clears throat> knew me, knew us, before we were ever created. That's the, the picture. That God looked forward, right, God can know, he knows all things, he can see all things, he knows, he knows the end from the beginning of time. God looked forward. And he foreknew you. And he foreknew, right, that you would receive his son. Doesn't nullify free will. He foreknew that you would trust in Jesus. He foreknew that you would come into a loving relationship with Jesus, receive his forgiveness, receive his grace, receive his mercy, and begin to be a child of God. Begin to follow Jesus. Begin to worship Jesus like you're doing this morning. God foresaw what you are doing this very morning as you are worshiping Jesus and adoring him, beholding him, right? Loving him because his love 
first came into your heart. Now, then it says he also predestined, right? Again, there's that, that key word. He predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, he, uh, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. So in the Lord's foreknowledge, he predestined you to be justified. What does it mean to be justified? Justification is uh, the judge taking his gavel, slamming it down, and saying, innocent. That's justification. Through Jesus Christ, we have all, right, who have put our faith in him and believed in him, turned away from our sins, turned to him, we have been declared justified. We have declared being innocent. Never to be tried again. Was it double indemnity, right? Am I right, Dante? Never to be tried again. We have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ. God, again, foresaw our justification. We have been justified. Now we're in the process of being conformed. And that's an ongoing work. Think of justification. Justification was instantaneous. But the actual being conformed is an ongoing process. We are all, understand, this is God's major work, purpose, focus, objective in your lives. Is to make you like Jesus. To make you more loving like Jesus more compassionate like Jesus, more faithful like Jesus, more obedient like Jesus, more of a servant like Jesus, more kind like Jesus. That is God's major. But you may be sitting, well, I want this, and I want that, and I want that, and I want this. That's not, that, that, those things, not that they're not important, but the most important thing that God is doing in your life, he is molding you, shaping you, and conforming you to be like Jesus. It's sometimes a little painful, Right? Oh, there's some parts of us that don't want to go, right, <laughs> and yield to him. Then notice it says, and these he also glorified. So we have been justified. That happened in the past. We are being conformed. That's happening in the present. The glorification has not happened yet. When we will be glorified and we will be like him, we will have a body like him. Again, we're not Mormons, we're not going to be turned into gods, but we will have bodies just like he had, a glorified body. I believe our minds will no longer be fluttering all over the place and distracted. We'll be able to be literally laser beam focused and be able to fix our eyes on Jesus all the time. And our spirit will have perfect spiritual harmony between us and the Lord. But that's glorification. But glorification hasn't. When does glorification happen? When? Harpazo. Remember last week, the resurrection, all the dead will be glorified at the resurrection. And then who follows? Those who are alive will be harpazo. They will be raptured where they will meet the Lord, right? In the clouds. And we shall ever be with the Lord. So, before you ever believed, right, before you were ever born, before God had ever created the very foundations of the earth, your marriage was arranged. 
your marriage has been arranged. Did that help you? Because that is one of the most confusing things that I see again amongst Christians. Trying to be able to reconcile the sovereignty and control of God with human free will. And that key word is for new. Okay, look at number two. The marriage engagement. The betrothal. When they reach marriageable age, this is where the groom essentially would come and he would give his bride a, a gift. And it could be a, a ring. Uh, it could be a necklace of coins. Remember the story in Luke chapter 15 of right the woman, she loses her, her, her coin. That coin was part, that's like losing her wedding ring. I once, my wife just made a sigh. I once lost my wife's wedding ring. I was taking it to the jeweler. Somehow I lost it. And then she got a cheap replica because we didn't have the money for the good one. But many years later, right here on the altar, I proposed to her again and gave her a really nice wedding ring. <laughs> The coming of the groom to the bride when they are marriageable age and giving her the gift, he would also give her a deed. It was usually a, a very well decorated deed. And it was a deed of intention or a covenant. It was a promise. And he is making a promise essentially that he will marry her. Just like a wedding ring. So many years ago, I, I, I gave Sue that wedding ring and she took it and she placed it on her finger. And that was my promise that one day I would marry her, that I would be faithful to her, uh, that I would honor her as my bride, the bride of my life. So in the ancient Jewish engagement, once they have done that, they were considered husband and wife. But they did not cohabitate together. They did not, they did not sleep together, they didn't have relations together. They're considered husband and wife, but didn't consummate the marriage. So that's what you see Joseph and Mary are when the Holy Spirit places, right, the Jesus within her womb. Now, once they have gone through the engagement, the, uh, the woman goes back to her father's house and she prepares for the wedding. The man goes to his father's house and he prepares a home for her. Look at a couple of passages, again, about us. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, right, having believed, right, you trusted in Jesus, you have come to believe in him as your Lord and your Savior, believing that he died for you on the cross, believing that he was raised from the dead, believing that he is God, believing that he is the Messiah, you came to that place where you have believed and trusted in him. And then it says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Guess who our wedding ring is? The Holy Spirit. God, and notice, see the word, the word guarantee. Guarantee is an incredibly rich word. Uh, sometimes you're translating, maybe using the King James, earnest. Um, the idea here is it, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee 
of the full payment that will come later when we are changed and glorified on our wedding day. And the Greek word, again, it's, it's arabon. Uh, so say it right. Arabon is the Greek word. And again, it speaks in the Hebrew, um, I'm sorry, in the Greek, and if you go back to the Hebrew word as well, it speaks of a glorious wedding. It's just a, a word that is literally power-packed with, with, with meaning. And the picture here again, the Holy Spirit is God's engagement ring to his bride. He has given us the Spirit who indwells us, right? who cries out, Abba, Father, who is our guide and our teacher. But if you don't have the Spirit, right, you're not of God. When we receive Jesus, we receive this guarantee. The Spirit comes within us. Now, there's another beautiful thing that, that, that happens. The ancient Hebrew engagement, the man would give the woman a cup of wine. If she accepted the wine and drank it, she was saying, I accept your proposal. She still had the option to say no. Maybe, you know, when they were kids, she didn't know him, and now he's standing in front of her, and he looks like he got hit with an ugly stick by the devil, okay? I mean, I don't know. A super, superficial male language, I'm sorry. So um, once the bride accepted the glass of wine, she is saying, I, I accept the proposal of the promise to marry her. Think of this. When we accept Jesus, what did he say about the cup? Right? Take this cup and drink it, for it is what? My blood. What do I say here week after week when we do the Lord's Supper? The blood, according to Leviticus chapter 17, is what? The blood, right, has the life in it. When, when Jesus' blood was leaving his body, and again, he, he said it is finished. He gave up his spirit, but he gave his life for us. This picture of the groom giving the cup to the bride and her taking and drinking it, he's giving his life to her. She's giving her life to him. That's a picture of what happens when a person is truly saved. They are taking Jesus' life into themselves. And they are giving Jesus their very life. Now, when that happens, the groom goes away to prepare a place for his bride. And the bride goes to her father's house to prepare herself for him. Where did Jesus go? Right, he ascended into heaven. What is he doing up there? Right? What does it tell us, right? John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house and many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. We're engaged. Right? We're, here, we're here on earth, but our groom has gone to prepare a place for us. And I'll just say this to you. Keith Green would say this. If God created the heavens and the earth in seven days, okay, could you imagine what it's going to be like after 2,000 years? 
He's preparing something absolutely incredible and magnificent. And as Paul, Paul said in Corinthians, no mind can imagine, no mind can wrap itself around what God has prepared for his bride. So he's preparing that place for us and soon to come back and return with the harpazo. What are we supposed to be doing? Yeah, right? What does it say? 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So Jesus is preparing a place for us. What are we doing? We are preparing ourselves. Just like the, the, the bride would be preparing herself, getting ready for her groom to come. We're supposed to be like the bride. We're making ourselves pretty. There's a, there's a guy that I, I did some coaching with years ago. He has a business, very brilliant business in New York. He trains brides-to-be. Right? You see, women getting ready for their wedding day, what do they do? Right? They want to get in great shape. They want, to, they want to look great. So he trains them. He gets them on a nutrition plan. He gets them on the supplements. So they're all pretty on the day when they walk down the aisle to meet their groom. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be preparing ourselves. How do we do that? Well, what you're doing right now. Worship. Service, prayer, Bible study, obedience, trusting, coming to know him more and more, loving one another, serving one another. As we are, as we are doing those things, we are preparing for our groom who is soon to come. That's what true believers do. True believers are in a place where we are preparing ourselves. We're preparing ourselves to meet the Lord. So, you are engaged. You are engaged. Number three, the marriage ceremony, the harpazo. So, now the bride comes, I'm sorry, the bride is ready, the groom comes for his bride, and um, you have the the Jewish marriage, called the Nusin, uh, the marriage ceremony. And the groom would often surprise the bride, not, not just merely coming up to the door, because what would happen is the groom would come with his male friends, his wedding party, usually carrying torches, so there would be a, a cry out that, right, the groom is coming, so she could come and meet him. But there's a level, again, of surprise in the coming of the groom. The wedding ceremony would occur at the father's house. So he would come, he would take his bride and bring her to his father's house where there would be guests and there was this actual service that would be carried on, benedictions, uh, prayers, and they would be declared as, as husband and wife. That is the actual, right, that is the, the, the marriage ceremony. When will our marriage ceremony happen. But again, at the harpazo, this is the, the, the groom coming for the bride and taking her to be with him. 
1 Thessalonians 4, 16-18, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. Now look at, what should I say this? The word caught up, harpazo, it's, it's a word that's used, snatch. Some people have, have actually called it the great snatching. Remember, show that video last week. I'm going to show the second half next week, right? People, right, the believers are just suddenly taken out. It, 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 it carries with it, uh, like they're stolen, suddenly caught up, snatched by surprise when the Lord comes. He comes for his bride, and he snatches her, he grabs her, he takes her into his arms. He brings her to his father's house. Right? In, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 6, uh, the parable of the ten virgins, uh, virgins, at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Right here comes, the, the, the cry goes out, remember? Who cries out? Michael the archangel. The cry of the archangel. The trumpet of God. The groom is coming. Boom, he comes. And he snatches the bride. Takes her to his father's house. And here's a picture again of the, of the traditional um, ancient Jewish wedding underneath the chupa. And um, they would be wearing the tailet, the, the prayer shawls, over their heads, symbolic of the covering of Yahweh over their lives. They would drink wine, right, symbolizing their dedication to each other. The bride would wear a, a, few, a, a full veil, symbolic of her modesty, her inward beauty, and both would be wearing white, symbolic of their purity. And then they would be pronounced husband and wife. That is the harpazo. That is a bride longing for her husband to come for her. Those, those, I think, who are, you know, there, there are characteristics of a true believer. And one characteristic of a number of a true believer, they have a longing to see Jesus. They, they just they have a longing to see Jesus. Second Timothy chapter four verse eight in the New Living Translation, and now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return, and the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. What's your name? What's your name? You bless me. I watched you here with your girlfriend on Wednesday night taking notes, and um, just you, you, you bless me. She's been here a few times, right? Yes, God bless you. Blessing from the Lord. But uh, just taking, you know, taking notes. I see some of you have been here for years. I don't think you've taken a note in, uh, in your whole life. I, you must just be smarter than me because I, I can't remember stuff unless I write it down. And even when I was 25, I had to do that. But, I mean, there's some stuff that is being revealed here. You don't want to miss it. And you're going to leave here and you're going to fill your head with all the crap from the iPhone, from the Internet, from television, from these idiots who you're allowing to speak into your life, which just causes all types of internal stress destroys your joy, destroys your peace, 
And you forget instantly this preciousness that God is giving you. God bless you. Now, again, characteristic of those who are, who are truly saved, there's this eagerness, this desire of them looking forward to the Lord's appearing. There's this, this, this hunger to see Jesus, to love Jesus, whatever, whatever, to fall at his feet. That's my thing. I don't even stand up, stand there in front of him like that. I just fall on his feet because I am totally unworthy of all that he's, he's done. But there will, there will be this, 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 this hunger for his appearance. No apathy, right? No, no fear. Some people, you know, they're just totally apathetic towards Jesus' coming. And then there's others. They're afraid of his coming. Now, I don't know, maybe that's because they're afraid he's gonna, they're going to be left behind or something. Now, I want to say this. There, is, there, there should be a hunger, a thirst to see Jesus. To, to experience the harpazo. But while we wait, and sometimes what, I think what happens in the church, we become so focused on his coming that we forget that while we're here, we're supposed to be about his business. So it's like, well, my life really sucks, and I just want to get out of here. And, you know, you're, you're just living in this pain, and you do nothing for God. You don't serve God. You don't obey God. You don't worship God. So Revelation... Um, boy, this is not this is not Revelation. This is Luke, nineteen thirteen. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said to them, "Occupy till I come." The word "occupy" is we are to be about his business. That's essentially what it means. We are about we are to be about his business as we look forward to his coming. His business is ultimately about loving people. Really, that's what it, whether, whether you're witnessing or you're serving, or it really comes about loving God and loving people. And that, and that love moves us to, to, to action. But that, that is what we're supposed to be doing here as we're waiting for him, not just sitting by and saying, my, my life is so horrible that, you know, I just, I just want to get out of here and escape. Which, again, is what you see. You see that in the church. We're supposed to be occupying. We're supposed to be about his business. And then... Again, when he comes, that's the marriage supper. That's the marriage ceremony. All right, last one is the marriage feast. So when the Lord comes for us, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 through 9, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So here is where, again, the bride is the church, Jesus is the groom, and we go to meet him. And then, again, when we meet him in the clouds, we then go to the wedding supper of the Lamb. This great and incredible celebration. Who are the guests? You've got to have guests at a wedding. Who are the guests? Old Testament saints, angels, right? Maybe even some martyr tribulation saints, depending on when this happens. And then, again, there is this, this glorious feast. Now, one of the questions is, when does it happen? 
And where does it happen? And that's where there's a, there, there's a lot of, you read different um, scholars, um, different pastors, different preachers, you get some different ideas. Nobody really knows for sure. And uh, we know that there's a marriage. So some people say it's happening <clears throat> while we're in heaven, while the tribulation is happening here on earth. I kind of, I kind of lean towards that. There, there is another theory that it actually happens here on earth. After the tribulation, when Jesus then establishes his millennial kingdom, and that actual feast is happening on earth. And that's, that's again, that's a, another theory. Needless to say, there is an incredible wedding feast that we're going to be a part of, and essentially we're going to be the bride <laughs> at the wedding feast, right? Jesus is the groom, we are the bride, and there's this great wedding feast that happens. And that is the four, right? Those are the, the, the four great stages that we see in the ancient Jewish marriage that you see, again, in this entire prophetic picture, eschatological picture. So let's just give you a quick, quick review. First thing, key thing, we have been chosen. Our marriage has been arranged. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Second, our wedding ring, our engagement ring, is the Holy Spirit. Who is continuously giving us again our assurance of salvation. Right? Leading us to cry within, Abba Father. Giving us the assurance of that promise that he is going to come for us. And then the price that was paid, right? The father would pay the price for the bride. Jesus paid the price in full on the cross. That's when he, he bought us. When the harpazo happens, that is our wedding ceremony. And then we go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It may last a really long time may last all eternity. I lean, I lean towards, when it talks about, in Revelation chapter uh, 21, the New Jerusalem coming down from heaven, she's adorned like a bride. And I, I don't think that we're a building, but I believe that, that the descent of that incredible, that incredible, Citadel, that, that, that just that incredible place is where we will dwell and that is the home that the Lord has made for us where we will be with him forever and ever. Amen? We have some blessed things to be looking forward to. Don't let your hearts be troubled about all the crazy things going on in this world. I said this, I said this to somebody at the beginning of the month. They said, what are you expecting over the next 12 months? And I said, I don't know. But this world, all I can tell you, is getting crazier and crazier, faster and faster than I ever imagined. Our, our leaders are lunatics. The leaders in the world are lunatics. I'm telling you, this is just, it's, it, it, it's frightening. Can you, can you even find a, a, a leader of just wisdom in, in the world? And we're, we're just... It could be the worst of times, but it could be the best of times.
because I do believe he's coming, and he's coming soon. So just as it says, don't let your hearts be troubled, right? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. And he said, these words should comfort you. They should strengthen us. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, for your word. And Lord, we thank you for this wonderful, encouraging word. Strengthen our hearts with it, Lord God. Let us just always be, Lord God, knowing, believing that, Lord God, this is not our home, that we are citizens of heaven, that, Lord God, we belong to one who paid a price for us, a precious price on the cross, and that, Lord God, you're coming back for us. I believe you're coming back soon. Let us prepare ourselves and make ourselves ready each and every day as you make our home in heaven ready. And, Lord God, let us live each day with expectation, looking forward to the day when we will see you face to face. <laughs> Amen.